Well, I just want to recap just a little bit from last Sunday uh, to remind you, hopefully maybe to affirm what you are putting, what you put into practice last week. Um, but we looked at another moment with the master, and this guy's name is Zacchaeus, and uh, found him in Luke chapter 19, familiar story uh, from childhood, I'm sure. But uh, we looked at uh, four, di- well, three different moments here, situations here in this portion of Scripture. We saw Zacchaeus, the searching sinner. He didn't want to just see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And so he, he didn't allow anything, not the crowd or his condition, or to stand between him and his, and his desire to see Jesus. And I trust that we also, too, have that same desire as well. We won't let anything stand in our way to be able to uh, seek out Jesus. And then we had Jesus in verse 5 as the seeking Savior. Not only was Zacchaeus wanting to see who Jesus was, but Jesus was seeking him as well, too, Zacchaeus. He was, uh, Jesus makes this first move by coming to, to the dead sinner and offering life through himself. He told him to come on down, and, and he needed to stay at his house. And that, that situation that came about because of all that um, resulted in the moment that we saw there in Scripture as well, a spectacular salvation. So Zacchaeus came down right away, and he welcomed Jesus joyfully and with great excitement. And when we encounter Jesus, we should have that same type of uh, excitement as well, too, the joy that we feel as we encounter Jesus. And it was very clear in in Zacchaeus' conversion because of that life change that came about. We saw that he wanted to give back all the different things that that he took, and, and we see the change in his life. And that change should also be in our life as well, too. There should be a difference when we come before Jesus and receive Him as Savior, He should be making a difference in our life. But Jesus had changed His heart. He wanted to demonst- Zacchaeus wanted to demonstrate that change through His actions. And, and uh, through all that, then we asked, of course, is Jesus living with you or do you just let Him visit once in a while? We need to allow Him to have full reign in our lives. And if you never have never received Jesus as your Savior, of course, that's the beginning of it, to be able to uh, receive Him and allow Him to come into your life. But if He is in your life and you are walking with Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, does He have full reign in your life? If He has taken up residence, have you been maybe denying Him access to some of the rooms in your life? So we need to make sure, though, that uh, we give Him full reign in our lives. We need to Make sure that as, as He's coming after us and seeking after us, we need to come to Him as well too. Don't let anything get between you and your loving Savior because there's a lot of things that we can learn as well as benefit from in a deep relationship with Him. And today we come to another moment with the Master where a woman's actions become memorialized with the gospel. Uh, Mary that name, Mary, is a popular biblical name. As a matter of fact, it was the single most popular name in first century Palestinian culture. One in every five girls born carried the name Mary. So if you're walking the streets and didn't know someone, Mary you might, might be successful in who that woman is. 20% of the women were named Mary. Contrast that to the Social Security Administration's latest, most popular name statistics. We don't even find Mary in the top 100. It's, it's not around. 
The fact that it was such a popular name in the first century makes it a little hard to keep up with the Marys we find in the New Testament. If you read your Bible, there's a lot of them in there. The name appears 61 times in 53 different verses, with, with each reference providing only the bare minimum of information. And even scholars have a hard time pinning down who the authors are talking about all the time. You have Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, the easiest one to identify. We got that. Then there's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, uh, and, and Mary, the wife of, of Clopas. We can't forget Mary, the mother of Mark, and in, the later, and in the later New Testament, Mary of Rome. And don't forget Mary Magdalene. We saw her or um, learned more about her a couple Sundays ago and learned about what a true worshiper is from that. And then there is Mary of Bethany, whom we're going to encounter here in John chapter 12. She is the sister of Lazarus, the one Jesus raised from the dead, and also, who also had a, a sister named Martha. And it's her story we're going to look at today, uh, Mary's story. It's from her that we learn a, a lesson of deep devotion. And it's from her that we learn what the model disciple looks like. Mary of Bethany is, is one who we get to know only a little better than the other Marys in the Bible. We first encounter her in Luke's gospel when Jesus shows up at their house for a meal. Her sister Martha busy expressing her gift of hospitality while her brother Lazarus sits around talking to Jesus. And Martha becomes so exasperated trying to get everything in order when finally she blurts out to Jesus, Lord, don't you see me doing all this work? And Mary is just sitting at your feet doing nothing. And Jesus responds to Martha. He says, Martha, you're worried, you're worried about all sorts of things, but don't you see that Mary has found the more important Thing. And then the next encounter we have with Mary of Bethany comes in John's Gospel in chapter 11. Her brother Lazarus has died and, and has been buried. Martha and Mary had called for Jesus, but He didn't come in time. Martha has gone down to the tomb, but Mary sits at home mourning her brother's loss. And Jesus finally arrives at the tomb, encounters Martha, and offers words of encouragement and hope, and then sends word for Mary to come as well. Martha goes to get Mary, and upon hearing what, that Jesus wants to see her, she runs to the tomb, and what does she do? She falls at His feet. Again, Mary, always at Jesus' feet. It's then that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And then John chapter 12, where we're going to be kind of landing here today, we find Mary of Bethany where we always find her, at the feet of Jesus. He's returned to Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. The cross is firmly in sight for, for Jesus. He knows where he's going, and John's gospel confirms that. And this account of Jesus' anointing at Bethany is recorded not only in John's gospel, but if you look at the other gospels, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 26, as well as Mark's gospel in chapter 14, we have this account. And there might be some confusion because both Matthew and Mark record the anointing after he enters Jerusalem while John records it before, and both Matthew and Mark have the, the setting at dinner in the home of a man named Simon the leper. When the details of the event are compared, though, it's most likely that at the very least, John and Mark are retelling the same encounter, although Mark's gospel never mentions the, the person's name. And regardless, the stories tell of a woman anointing Jesus and showing the depth of devotion needed of a disciple of Jesus. And, and if you also then look at Luke, you might get a confused with chapter, I think chapter 7, um, there's another 
account of another woman there who's coming to Jesus and, and uh, uh, falls at his feet. That's a totally different situation. So don't get that confused with this account of Mary of, Beth, uh, of Bethany. So they were gathered at, at dinner. And can you imagine what kind of dinner guest Jesus must have been in all this? Consider the possible guests at this dinner in John chapter 12. Considering also Mark's account of this story, we've got Simon who has been healed of leprosy and Lazarus who has been raised from the dead. they got these two guys talking. <laughs> dinner time. That would be great dinner conversation going on there. Can you hear Simon say, yeah, it was amazing. Jesus reached out and touched me and immediately the leprosy was gone just like that. And Lazarus chimes in, well, that's really something, but <laughs> let me tell you, I was dead wrapped in grave clothes for four days when Jesus showed up and called me out of the grave. And so they're trying to top each other and things. And, you know, conversation goes on, stuff like that. They're, they're swapping war stories and, and all that. But, but then it's Mary of Bethany who gives us the example of a sacrificial love. Let's look at this in John chapter 12, uh, the first eight verses. Follow along with me as I read. Verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should, should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And then let me also, too, read another verse from the other account from Matthew, chapter 26, verse 13. And there it kind of concludes with all this as well, too. And he says, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So let me ask you, what will your memorial be? What will you be remembered for? If someone looks back on your life years from now, what will, you, what will they remember about you? Now, none of us will probably have our names in the history books of the future, unless we do something pretty amazing and drastic. But it was, what is more likely to happen is that we will be remembered by those whose lives we've touched. They'll remember us because we've had a connection with them relationally and we've touched their lives. Mary Bethany touched the life of Jesus. He was so captivated by her sacrifice that he proclaimed that what she did would become a memorial to her. And in one act, she demonstrated what her life was all about. It's Memorial Day. We remember those who demonstrated their priorities by giving the supreme sacrifice. Men and women of the armed forces fought and died so that others might have liberty. It is always sobering to reflect on the reality that the freedoms we enjoy today came at such a great cost. 
All you have to do is go up over the hill and drive in between the two cemeteries and look to your right as you're going that way and see all the gravestones up there. So we pause as a nation to express our recognition and to collectively say we won't forget. And Mary Bethany, who acted kindly and compassionately toward Jesus, was not, was not been, been forgotten either because Jesus knew her example would teach us some important truth. This uh, incident teaches us the importance of perceiving the, the true value of things. Mary took a very expensive jar of perfume and, and lavished it on Jesus. To her, there was no question that Jesus was worth the price she paid. The New Living Translation says Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. 12-ounce jar. Other translations call it pure nard, meaning it wasn't watered down. And nard was a rare and expensive scent imported from northern India that smelled like gladiolas and was red in color. It was used for medicinal purposes and as an aromatic wine, a breath scent, and as a perfume for the body and for clothing. And our text says it was worth a small fortune. In Mark's gospel, in his version, it has it worth 300 denarii. That's almost a year's wages for the average worker. If I were to put that in perspective in today's terms, Mary poured out on Jesus' feet an amount of $28,000. Now, it certainly reveals a little about the, the wealth of, La of Lazarus and his family. <laughs> the extravagant nature of the gift is kind of underscored by the fact that the fragrance filled the entire house even surpassing the aroma of the meal that was prepared. Mary is an act of total abandonment to Jesus. For Mary, Jesus was worth more than all her perfume. This, this jar of perfume was maybe the most precious item Mary owned. Maybe it was part of her dowry she had been saving for her marriage. Maybe it was a family heirloom passed from her mother to her. We don't know how she came about the perfume, but it was precious and costly, yet she wasted it <laughs> on Jesus. At least that's what the disciples, especially Judas, thought about her actions. The writers, uh, Matthew and, and Mark, depict that uh, not only Judas was upset, but some of the disciples were upset about this. And you think, how could, how could her deed be interpreted as, as so harshly by the disciples. Here are the group of guys have been following Jesus and hopefully have learned the value of, of things and, and relationship and people and where their proper place is in life. Was it because uh, as a woman she was more sentimental than the men? <laughs> Maybe. Do women perceive the importance of showing their love more than men? Yeah, maybe. In generally, general statement. I mean, do men say, I love you, and fail to show I love you? Sometimes that happens, unless they have matured in how they relate to others. Guys, sometimes they, they, they might show their love more than say their love at times. Women probably want to say their love more, but it depends on who you are. You don't have to be a guy or a girl about this, but it's who you are sometimes, too, and how you communicate that love. Some people like to show it. Some people like to say it. 
But men don't always perceive that showing someone you love them with a tangible gift once in a while is not wasteful. (laughs) Subtle hint, guys. Bring your wife something other than on birthdays and anniversary. Make sure that happens. Uh, They like the gifts. They like the, the be loved in that way. And wives, if your husband brings you something to show he loves you, other than your birthday and anniversary, please don't respond by saying, what have you done now? <laughs> Are you in trouble? What do you want? Guys, you might even want to make your gift an act of service. Ken Davis, a Christian humorist, tells this story. He says, for the first 15 years of my marriage, I was a terrible husband. Diane had a full-time job became my secretary, mothered our daughters, and waited on, my, on me hand and foot without demanding that I lift a finger to help. I loved my wife very much, but I hadn't learned how to show my love. God used a vacuum cleaner to teach me. First, I learned that our cat was terrified of vacuum cleaners. That kept me entertained for about an hour. <laughs> then as I vacu- vacuumed in one direction, a stripe would appear. Entranced, I, I striped the whole room. Then I went crossways, creating a checkerboard pattern. I got so carried away that I dusted the furniture and straightened the entire house. I was in my easy chair once again when Diane came home. She struggled through the door with a bag of groceries under each arm, kicked the door shut with one foot, and then took in in the house with an expert glance. Her mouth dropped open. Slowly, the bag slipped from her grasp and dropped to the floor. Who did this? She asked. I did, I said. Without warning, she attacked. (laughs) Diving on me, she smothered me with kisses and hugs, showering gratitude on me. The kisses grew more passionate. We broke the chair. The vacuum taught me an important lesson. Love is expressed with more than just words. We need to use our actions. We need to show our love as well, too. Mary knew that concept. It was with deep appreciation for Jesus that she gave all she had to Jesus. Remember, Mary's brother, Lazarus, had died. He had been in the tomb four days, and there was no hope of his return. Jesus came and restored his life and gave him back to Mary and Martha. How do you put a price on such a gift? How can you offer the one who gave you life, the one who brought you hope in a hopeless situation, anything less than everything you are and have. This was more than devotion. This was was worship, and worship flows not out of a heart of obligation, but of gratitude. And did this expression of worship cost Mary something? (laughs) Oh, yes, it did. It cost her financially in terms of her security for the future, but it might have cost her her honor. The text says she wiped his feet with her hair. In a public setting. This was no simple cultural faux pas. <laughs> this was an outright disregard for all social and cultural norms. You see, the only person who was allowed to see a grown woman with her hair down was the woman's husband. So Mary risked being branded as an immoral woman for the rest of her life by her actions on that day. She risked losing any opportunity at finding a husband and having a family of her own. Her worship was costly in every way, but it was worth it to her. Jesus did not scold Mary for for financial irresponsibility there either, as, as His disciples did. He memorialized her for perceiving what was most 
important. If we work 60 to 80 hours a week, I hope you don't, but if you do, and have plenty of money in the bank, but neglect your family, uh, neglect coming to church, neglect church family, neglect uh, the community around you, have we really given ourselves to what is the most important? Do we perceive that it is wasteful to put Christ first in our lives? And let me make a couple things pretty clear here, too. What a person gives is between that person and God. Whatever you want to give to the church, whatever you want to give financially, however you do your finances, that's not up to me. That's up to you and God. <laughs> you deal with that. You may be in a situation where your spouse isn't a Christ follower. So you can't always give what you would like to give. Some of you are on fixed incomes. Some of you have special financial situations right now, and you can't give all you would like to give. And no one here is going to personally confront you about your giving. <laughs> That's between you and God. But remember, there was another woman in Jesus' day who was also commended for her giving. One day, Jesus was standing by the treasury of the temple, ob observing the gifts people brought. And a widow woman came along and put in two copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Jesus said this woman on a, on a fixed income contributed more than all the big givers that preceded her. And why is that or how is that? As he said in Luke chapter 21, verse 4, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So it's not the size of, the, of, the, of your gift that matters as much as the size of your heart for God. And so whatever you give, whatever you contribute, whatever you do financially, that is up to you between you and God in that way. And like Mary Bethany, this woman not only knew what is important, but she also acted on her core belief by making a personal sacrifice. Tomorrow... On Memorial Day, we honor the sacrifices of brave men and women. Maybe you have plans to go up to Willamette National. Maybe you have plans to go other places to honor those who have gone before us in our military. Why would they pay such a valuable price? I would submit to you because they were purchasing something far more valuable than life itself. Freedom. Liberty. That is what sacrifice does. It gives up something valuable to gain something even more valuable. In baseball, a batter will often bunt or intentionally hit a pop fly to deep center to advance a runner. The player's appearance at that plate does, does go down in the record books as a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice play. He was more productive in giving up his chance to run the bases because he helped the team have a chance to win. This woman with the very expensive jar of perfume perceived that Jesus was soon going to die. And again, her perception was greater than that of the disciples. She knew that her sacrifice paled in comparison to that of her Savior. And in her eyes, it was a very small thing to give up her valuable possession to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. Since he had, he had, since he had and was going to give up so much for her. And let me share one more thought from the Gospel of Mark about this as well, too, on this account of Mary's anointing Jesus. In Mark chapter 14, 
In verse 8, Jesus mentions a phrase here that just caught my attention. I hope it does you as well. Jesus said, she did what she could. She did what she could, in verse 8. She gave what she had. She poured out her most precious possession in utter abandonment. More than anyone else in in the room, maybe more than anyone else in, in the world, Mary of Bethany identified with the Lord's approaching horror. As the hour of Calvary approached, and it's gripping his soul with its promise of agony and, 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 and aloneness. It was a woman who reached out to the Son of Man. It was a woman who sensed his need and, and moved to his side to support him. She did what she could, the best she knew how. Careless of self and caring less of criticism around her, filled only with the love for him. And for a brief, very brief moment, Jesus' troubled heart was warmed by a spontaneous expression of love toward Him. And in the Gospels, we don't hear a lot of accounts, if any accounts, of an individual who actually ministered to the Lord Jesus. Typically, it was Jesus who healed. It was Jesus who comforted. It was Jesus who fed the hungry. It was Jesus who gave of Himself freely and ultimately giving His very life. But Mary, Mary was one of the very few who gave something back to Him, who reached out in a tangible way and and brought warmth and blessing to the heart of the Savior. She did what she could. So the question is left for all of us, what can you do? What can you do? How can you as a believer today, as a follower of Jesus, bless the heart of God? What can you do? What cherished alabaster jar can you bring to pour out before Him? Whatever that might be in your life. Your praise ministers to Him. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Let us then always offer praise to God as our sacrifice through Jesus, which is the offering presented by lips that confess His name. So when in your prayers you set aside time to simply pour out your heart in praise and thanksgiving, that's pleasing to the Lord. How many times have you been able to do that? Or are you just more focused on the list you have for God? Take care of this. Help me in this area. Make sure this happens. And Lord, be with that person who needs salvation. They're probably great prayers. But how much time do you set aside just going, I love you. Thank you. Also, when you speak well of Him before others, declaring who He is and what He has done, you are bringing glory to His name letting others know about what He's done. You're ministering to God. But most of all, God simply wants you. He just wants you. Paul says it best in a a portion of Scripture that I've shared with you before, and uh, you haven't got it by now. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture in, in the Bible. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 
do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It isn't easy to put yourself on the altar. Oh, it's tough. It's tough to put things on the altar of your life and let alone put yourself on that altar for, for God. Just like that broken alabaster jar, it could mean some broken pride. You might have to swallow your pride. It could mean some broken ambitions. You set your, your sights on something and you're going after it. Putting yourself on the altar for God and letting Him have, have say in your life might sacrifice that. It might be broken ambitions. It might be broken plans. Plans for the day, plans for a week out, plans for a year out, whatever plans you are, are hoping to have and, and to, to make and hoping to have come true. Those might be broken, a possibility of that. It might be broken dreams that you wish would, would maybe come about in your life or someone else's life. Life is precious. It's painfully hard to let go. Mary's jar looks so beautifully tucked away and in her hope chest. But when she broke it, pouring it all out at the master's feet, the fragrance drifted far beyond that tiny little room in Bethany. Jesus saw to it that it filled the whole world. And 2,000 years later, its fragrance lingers. Jesus has a way of doing that with broken jars. <laughs> what jar needs to be broken in your life? To give Him full reign in your life. What do you need to bring to Him and pour out at His feet? So today we remember Mary of Bethany. And who else do we remember? We remember others who gave of themselves in sacrificial ways, lavish upon us our blessings, being able to have freedoms that we enjoy. But what will people remember you for? What do you hope people will remember you for? That might be the beginning of what you would, the direction you want to go. But live to be remembered for the important things. Live to be remembered for giving up your rights and your possessions for the benefit of others. Live for acts of kindness that lighten the load of those who are hurting and weary. Because Jesus will remember these things too. He will remember that, what, what you have done. Others around you, as you have touched lives, will remember what you've done. Question is, what fragrance are you spreading? Will people remember that? This, this weekend, we have Memorial Day coming up. And I trust that you want to leave a lasting impression on people's lives. I trust that you know, as, as you look at the days ahead and the years ahead, some of you are thinking, when will heaven come? When will I get to heaven? And, all? and, and some of you are hoping, <laughs> Lord, take me now because of what's going on in the world and everything else. But what do you want to leave behind you? What do you want to leave for your kids, your grandchildren? I trust it's more than just a boat and a car and house and money and items. I trust you're leaving a legacy, spiritual legacy for them to follow. That will be the alabaster jar that will go on forever. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are.
Thank you, Lord, for working through our lives. And Lord, thank you also, too, for how you've used Becky and I in our kids' lives. And seeing Bree graduate yesterday was wonderful <laughs> and scary. <laughs> but Lord, we know that you have them in your hands, and we thank you, Lord, for what you've done through us to reach our kids. Lord, we want to leave a lasting legacy. We certainly can't leave much of anything else of possession-wise for our kids. And my prayer here today is that people will realize, too, that they need to leave something for their kids or their grandchildren or great-grandchildren more than just possessions, that we are remembered for who we served and how we served our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that that alabaster jar will be broken open in our lives, be able to be carried on throughout the generations to come, and people will remember Grandpa, great-grandpa, how he followed you and loved you dearly. Grandma and great-grandma and how she loved you so dearly and followed you closely. Lord, I pray that we would realize that there's so much more to life than just things. And the generations after us need to know about you. So, Lord, uh, I pray that you would Touch our hearts in a way to remind us that uh, we need to be right with you. We need to live a life in such a way that as we go throughout the days that people will realize a difference in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would impress on us the need to share with other people around us what you've done in our lives. And Lord, thank you. For the kids you've given us, Becky and I, and the kids you've given each one of us here in this congregation and those who are online as well. Um, and we continue to pray for them. And we continue to pray that you would use us in their lives. And not only our kids and grandchildren's lives, but also the, our neighbors and our coworkers, those around us, Lord, that they would see a difference in our lives. And they would realize that there's a Savior who calls their name. So, Lord, help us to commit to you <laughs> to live in abandonment for you. Total surrender, whatever you say goes. And I pray, Lord, that there would be victories here today with that. Thank you, Jesus, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. And as we sing these next few songs, may you continue to minister to our hearts. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen.